0: All of us, all of us interpret God and all of us interpret God's word. Even the atheists interpret God's word. They do. The challenge for us is the fact that we are either good interpreters of God's word or bad interpreters of God's word. You know, we, we have bad habits. So if you have bad habits when you read God's word, guess what? The bad habits will show in our interpretation of God's word. So my first question to you this morning, are you a good interpreter of God and his word? And how do you know this? How do you know? Do you have a set of rules on how you can measure yourself the way I am interpreting God's word is accurate. Um, I want us to look at that And then I want to, would like to explain to you How did I come with that question Right there in front of us Just keep it there Nigel I want to explain to you How this <laughs> sermon came about So as a family We do devotions every morning And so at this stage We're working through the book of Acts So we're now at chapter 22 So I read The kids ask questions I ask questions, Almery asks, and we all have this conversation. So one morning, Carla comes down, and she says, just before we start with the devotion, Dad, I couldn't sleep last night. And so I said, so what did you do? Uh, I, I read the Bible. I said, what did you read? I read Job. I thought, ooh, that's not sleeping material. I said, and so? Oh, I thought that in my mind. I didn't say that. Sorry, I just thought in my mind. What a book to choose if you want to sleep, <laughs> you know. So I said, and so, and then she said, "Dad, it's it's terrible." That's the first was it's terrible. And then the first question: How does Satan end up in that meeting in heaven? How does he end up there? And Dad, Job's wife, how could she say that? So I realized when she said all of those things, she actually went really deep into to. To, um, to this book and daddy's friends and I realized as I was sitting there my child was actually forming opinions about God she was forming opinions about God and she was forming opinions about God's wife and she was some serious opinions and I had to leave it and then you know the question so dad Job's wife, Job's wife not God's wife, sorry. Dad yeah God's not married, huh? Dad <laughs> Dad does everything turn out well for Job? And I said, you'll have to read this for yourself because I knew what she wanted she wanted to know is there any reason why this happened to him does the Bible give us clarity and we know if you read the book there's no clarity on why God did it so that's when I realized ok if she starts reading this book with a bad habit a bad habit of interpreting the book it's going to end up really bad for my, for my child for, for me as well so, let me just give you a quick outline of the background of Job. Keep that question in the back of your mind. So, in Job starts with, for those of you who haven't read it, it starts with a meeting in heaven, and Satan's there. So, God, out of the blue, just says to Satan, and I'm going to paraphrase it now, it's the Cape Flats version, you know, Did you check out my servant Job? Such a righteous man. And then Satan replies to God, "Um, Well, that's what you say, but if I touch his family and if I touch him, things will go terribly wrong and then God says, Okay, go. Don't touch Job. Don't kill him. You can't do that. But you can do anything. You can do pretty much anything what you would like to do, you can do to him. Actually, God says, Satan goes, all the man's family dies. He loses his business. The man's bankrupt. And through all of this, Job does not curse God. Then we jump to see number two, a second meeting in heaven and Satan is again there. And then God says, did you, did you look at my servant Job? He's a classy guy. Huh? Satan says, well, I've touched his family. I've touched his businesses, but I haven't touched him. If I touch him, he will deny you. God says, well, go. You can't kill him, but you can, you can hit him, and you can hit him as hard as you can. Satan goes back, and Job gets hit by leprosy. So it's this disease that just, you're not allowed to mix with people. I mean, if you read through the Levitical laws about people that's leprous, it's pretty harsh. Job sits right there with nobody. And then his wife says, look here, just curse God and get over this so that he can kill you. Job doesn't. So Job's friends come and hang out with him. Now for the first week, they sit together, nobody speaks. What a small group, huh, Laura? Small group for a week and nobody speaks. They just sit. They mourn. Sometimes when I read the Old Testament narratives and I look at the Israelites, they were quite dramatic people, huh? Sackcloth and ashen. You know, they're very dramatic. They're good actors, but anyway. So they sit there, nobody speaks. And then this conversation starts... why Job's suffering every friend gives his idea I think this is why you're suffering and this is why God's doing this and you don't understand God and then Job says guys you don't understand now the scary thing about this whole conversation we don't know how long this conversation takes place but God listens to every word that they say about him but he just keeps quiet don't you love that about God we ramble everything about him he doesn't say anything he just listens And then eventually, it's chapter 40 I think, no, 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 chapter 38, God comes and then God says to Job, dress yourself like a man, we're going to have a conversation now. And then God starts to interrogate Job with questions, quite scary questions. Job, do you know where darkness comes from? Job, do you, know that I, do you know that I can lock up darkness? Just, just listen to what God says. I can open it, I can release it. Job, Job, do you keep the light in your hands? Job, do you command the clouds to come? Job, do you know when wolves or lions give birth to their babies? It's quite intimidating. And so for the next, I don't know how long it took, God interrogates the man. And then at one stage, Job does this. Scripture is very explicit. Job puts his hand over his mouth. And then he says, God, I've, clearly I've spoken too easily about you. And then God says, dress yourself <laughs> again. We're going to talk like, I'm going to talk to you like a man. And then God interrogates him again. So I don't know how Job felt. In the end, God vindicates Job, but I want just now to follow this, and I want to give you Job 42, verse 7 to 10. Just read this with me. After the Lord has said these things to Job, interrogated him, he said to Job's friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, watch this, I'm angry with you and with your two friends, because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has before. Just stop there. God's angry and God says to Job's friends, look here, you didn't speak the truth about me. The first thing that I want us to notice here is that not everybody can be right when we talk about God. <laughs> it's clear that God says, I'd rather go with Job with what you said about me. Everybody cannot be right. Let's continue. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. Then God says, My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer. And I will not deal according to you with your folly. You've not spoken truth about me as my servant Job has. Let's continue. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, Zophar, the Namathite, and Carlos the Africanite is reading this. Did what the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job has prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had. God comes... And God deals with Job's friend's arrogance. So arrogance is this proud and unpleasant behavior towards other people. It's based on on, on one's belief in one's own superiority or greater importance. It comes from a self-confidence that doesn't acknowledge God. So God challenges their arrogance. And because of the arrogance, God also challenges Job's friend's insensitivity towards him. Look, you were insensitive to my my son. And because of that, it led to them representing the arrogance and the insensitivity led them to misrepresent God. So the first reason I want us to start studying our Bibles and not just merely reading it is this. We need to, if you can flight it for me please, my brother. Represent God truthfully. That's the first reason why I want us to read the Bible and study it. To represent God faithfully. You with me? Now, can I just say, that puts the fear of God in my life, seriously. Just because I've got the mic every second Sunday or third Sunday, it doesn't mean that I'm representing God truthfully. I would really like to. But I'm just mentioning that. Secondly, look what Jesus says. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 26. This is what Jesus says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' question to him is, what's written in the law? And then, how do you read it? There's the theme again. Jesus says, how do you read the Bible? How do you read me? It's in this case where Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Again, we see this thing about how God views, how people view him in the scriptures. He's open for conversation, but he also wants to know, how do you read it? Look at John chapter 5, verse 39 to 40, look what Jesus says to the Pharisees there. You study the scriptures diligently. I mean, you study it. Because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify, yet you refuse to come to me. So, there's also a place where we can study the scriptures, but we miss God. Are you with me? And I also don't want us to go on that route. So, what's the second thing? If you can flight it, we must interpret God's words carefully. I'm going to give tips on how to do it now. We're going to do some some Bible study. Today is going to be a bit technical, but prophetically it's going to help us a lot for the days to come. So we've got to not only just represent God truthfully, we have to interpret His word carefully. Look how Paul puts it. Paul puts it in this way, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as someone that is approved. A worker does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. That's where my sermon title comes from. So Paul says, we've got to be approved. We've got to be diligent in the study so that we can handle God's word correctly. Now, handle the word of truth appropriately. Now, everybody has bad habits, but you can unlearn them. Isn't it so? If there's humility, you can unlearn a bad habit. So, what I want to say to everybody here, you're already doing a brilliant job at interpreting God's word. It excites me. Now we've got to refine it. Now we've got to trust God to teach us some more on how to do it. And where we make mistakes in interpreting God's word, we've got to help each other. So, before we talk, so, so before we talk about the quantity and the quality of our studies, we must talk about our character. So, um, I have a few gifts here as well. Just because, would you please hand now? this is a, a gospel of John. You can buy these gospels from the Good Book Company for under five pounds. This is just the gospel of John. You know, you, you can read it on the train. It's the full gospel of John, if everybody can have one. It's just so nice, it's just to sit and read on the train or wherever you are. Nigel, do you have one, my brother? The gospel of John for you. It's the NIV, um, just so that we can start reading it, you know, and you, you can write it. You get the Gospel of Mark, um, you get it in different versions. It's so beautiful, no commentaries, nothing fancy, no chapter headings. Um, are there chapter headings in there? No. Yes, there are chapter headings. You actually get Bibles that does not have chapter headings and that doesn't have chapters And verses I like the I like those. You just read it. Very nice. Very, very beautiful. So now we're gonna get a bit technical. I wanna help you in handling God's word truthfully, appropriately, and represent God in such a beautiful way that it honours and blesses him. So principles to rightly handle the word of truth. First principle, submit to the authority of scripture and the gospel with the right attitude. Okay. So before we talk quality or quantity of study or quality, you've got to talk about the attitude. So in that scripture, the scripture says, this is what the Lord says. If you can follow, just follow on your, on your Bibles. I didn't put all the scriptures there. Um. Where is the house that you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things and so they come into being, declares the Lord. Then God says in in, in the latter part of verse 2, These are the ones I look on with favor. Just listen to this. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Do we still tremble at God's, God's word when we read it? That's what it says. And so I'm, I'm talking here about the, the authority of, of what Scripture has of our lives. Sometimes we read it as a story. Sometimes I, I read it because just, I, I just love reading. Sometimes I study it. But what God says here is, my people, do you still tremble at my word? I mean, when you pick this up, do you pick it up, and do we think today my life's going to change? Show for our statement of faith uh, in our statement of faith, our first line says, We believe in the scriptures of the old and New Testaments in their original writing, as fully inspired of God, and accept them as the supreme and final authority for faith and life. Now, I like that. There's nothing else that has supreme and final authority over our lives except the scriptures. Now, I can tell you, there's a lot of Christians that will have a problem with that. I can promise you that. And this is why this is so prophetically so urgent for me. But Scripture should not just have authority over our lives. The gospel is how the scriptures impacts us. So scripture must have that impact on life, but we must demonstrate Christ-likeness and godliness in everyday life. We have the authority of the scriptures in, in our lives, and the gospel demonstrates the power of the scriptures on our lives. We must have both. We must read the scriptures and we must tremble at the scriptures. We must read the scriptures and we must do the scriptures. We must live the scriptures. If we only read the scriptures and stick to the scriptures, we become Pharisees, destroying other people. If we only go the way of the spirit because the spirit flows and we ballet on our toes, there's no substance. There's no conviction you've got to have both and so we need to submit to the authority of scripture and the power of love a very powerful document to go read is the chicago chicago biblical statement of bible inherency just go read that document it starts with we believe and then it says we deny we believe we deny. Just go read that document. It is a brilliant document. It was put together in the seventies. It Was put together in the seventies by R.C. Sproul, who has died now, gone to be with the Lord. Um, James Boyce. Some some very brilliant Christian patriarchs of faith that just fought the good fight. And um, I want you to go read it, read it, because we we're gonna be dealing with things like this. Not in the near future, right right now. Okay. So that's the first thing. Having that right attitude when we read the scriptures. Okay. Are you with me? Amen. 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 Secondly, interpret the Bible the way it is written. The Bible is written in many different genres. Some are Old Testament narrative. Some are wisdom literature. Some are letters Some are parables. Some are apocalyptic literature. The apocalyptic literature is those dreams of Daniel and John. And each one of them needs to be interpreted differently. Are you with me? Okay. An example there, Genesis 27 is where Isaac cons his brother Esau out of his birthright. Now... If you read the narrative, Laura, you notice that Scripture doesn't say Isaac is wrong, nor does Scripture say Isaac is right. The narrative just tells the story. But that doesn't mean what I what Isaac is doing, Scripture condones. So I've heard people preach sometimes it's okay to lie. God will rather go with a schema. Then with a guy that doesn't want to do. Let me illustrate this point. So we were at a friend's house. His name is Eric John Ware. Died. Went to be with the Lord. We were recording music and we have a mutual friend sitting there. He's married. So our mutual friend says, you know, I don't have a problem with people that has two wives. David Ad. Solomon Ad. And he quotes Solomon's thousands. And I'm sitting there and I'm asking him, so if your wife would have two husbands, would you be happy about it? Man, his face changed. You know, if you read a narrative and you really see that David was happy with all his wives, then you're not reading the narrative correctly. You're obviously not understanding that the man is suffering. If you Abraham and you tell, and if 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 you Sarah and you tell your husband, do your thing with the, do your thing with the servant, go 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 go. And later you have to make a judgment call between Ishmael and someone else. Your life gets destroyed. You with me? So, just for instance, the narrative. Not all narratives are positive messages. That's why the Bible would have narratives about the Benjamites that raped a woman to death. Again, it doesn't condone or it doesn't say they were right or wrong. It just tells us the story. Since the narratives are reflect real life, the characters aren't always heroes. Sometimes they demonstrate what should not be done. You with me? So we, Sophiso, is in this thing. So we should also so avoid moralizing or spiritualizing every story. You know what might be the moral of the story of Jacob deceiving his brother? You know. So when you read a biblical story, see what. One of the golden rules when you read a biblical story, see what God's heart is behind all of it. Read the bigger picture. Let's take, for instance, Proverbs. Proverbs 26 verse 7 says, so this is now, again, not Old Testament narrative. This is now wisdom literature. Proverbs 26 verse 27 says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. Is that always true? It's not always true. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and his way will never depart from it. Is that always true? It's not always true. The blessings of the Lord makes one rich and it adds no sorrow. Is that always true? Sometimes God bless you and things go terribly wrong in your life. People hate you. The haters hate you. You're a hater, you know. So, what is Proverbs? Proverbs are divine guidelines that we need to read with wisdom. It expresses a general truth. Not always truth, but a general truth. If you do work hard, you will be successful. But you know, you can work hard and then recession hits. (laughs) But God will bless the one that works hard. But now when we think of blessing, we think if he works hard, then he must be rich. And that's not the truth. These expressions of general truth generally do have exceptions due to the uncertainty of life and unpredictable behavior of fallen men. Can you see why it would be dangerous just to pick up a proverb and say, this is it. So, when you read proverbs, at check the themes. So one way to study Proverbs would be to say, this month I'm going to read all the Proverbs that talks about fools. Then you read them, what Proverbs says about fools. Then next month I will study everything that Proverbs says about the wise. Then read about the wise in Proverbs. Or work, or laziness. I know of lazy people that's very rich because they inherited it. I also know, have you read that scripture in Matthew? God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. Even murderers enjoy sometimes evil people enjoy the grace of God. So you with me. Study the themes of Proverbs in light of how you need to study it. Biblical narrative, it's another one. So we can go on and on. So there's rules and an interpretation for every type of literature that we do have in the scriptures. Are you with me? Number three. um, Study themes in the Bible, storyline, and see how it fits in with a bigger picture of God's plan. Why am I saying this, people? And I must say this to myself regularly. Regularly I must tell myself this. If you pick up the Bible... And you always read the Bible on what is God going to say to me for my life and how God's going to bless you and how God's going to take me. I can promise you at one stage you're going to end up offended with God. Before I had a plan, God had a plan. God still has plans. <laughs> and God's plans will come to fruition, not mine. need to slot in with God's plan with my plan. Does that make sense? Why should God bless me if my plans are not there to further his purposes? Just think of that question. Just think of it. Why should God bless my plans if my plans is not in line with his purposes? Are you with me? So, I'm saying this, when you read scripture, always think of the bigger picture first. I know, I know, hey, it's cool, God has a plan for my life, so I also read the Bible, God, I need a word now. And my go-to book, the Psalms, oh man, when things are deep and dark, I run to the Psalms. Oh, I just love it just because I can relate and they can relate to how I feel and I can relate to how they feel, you know. Then I run to the Psalms and I read it and I read it until God speaks to me. But you know the one thing about the Psalms, if you read the Psalms, you'll always see that they they lift up like eagles and then they see God's bigger plan in the scheme of things. Psalms 2 is an example of it. I'm going to read Psalms 2, just listen to this. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, "Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles." The one, just listen to this. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. Ha, 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 ha. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebuked them in his anger and terrifies them with his wrath, saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I'll proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Jesus quoted this when the Holy Spirit come. God spoke it over him. Ask me and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth you know. It's just such a beautiful sound that God has a plan. And every other nation that has their own plans, God laughs. What what are they trying to do? God scoffs at them. So, I really believe this, this is one of the big reasons why so many believers are offended with God. Because we don't take time out to sit down and see the bigger picture. We don't take time to see how we fit into the bigger scheme of things. And so God's open to listen to our plans and he's always ready to listen. But I can tell you, he will always tell you about what he's going to do. I hear you, I'm with you. Maybe not in five years' time, maybe in 25 years' time. I hear you, I'm with you in in what you want to do, but can we talk now about what I want? That's where the conversation gets uncomfortable. Are you with me? Does it make sense? Okay, number four. Shape your thinking by systematically working through books and passages of the Bible. Selective reading and preaching is one of the church's downfall. Now I'm going to have to say this, especially the Pentecostal and the charismatic church. And I want to encourage you to start reading through books of the Bible and study the themes. Our tendency in churches as we are in, we preach what the word of God is saying and so we never get to the difficult passages you with me? You hear what I'm saying? It's not something that I'm reflecting on the past. I'm just saying there's a massive gap. And the problem is, if we don't address difficult passages from the pulpit, there's a void. Now, there's more than enough information out there on the internet and on YouTube where people will feed themselves. So I'm challenging you as leaders as well. Please grow with us in this. Because once, if somebody reads something that really sounds good but is not good... They have been infiltrated by something, and now you have to get that out. Are you with me? So, selective reading and preaching of Scripture is one of the ways in which the churches are crumbling now morally and spiritually. Um, The thing is, the difficult subjects, they don't go away. And sometimes it's wise not to fight those things. I do agree. But at the same time, we need to have good resources to refer people to and to say, look, you can start reading or working through this. And as leaders, we want to encourage you to do that. So, these difficult subjects don't go away, I've written here. Instead, people pick up on the prevailing cultures and interpretations of the day, and they'll run with that. For instance, some of the difficult subjects now, I'm just mentioning it here, it doesn't mean that we're going to address it now. It doesn't mean that we're at that place where we can, but... I have to say this to you because it's prevalent, it's there, we are confronted with the distinctions between men and women. It's a hot topic, it's a definite one. Homosexuality, spiritual abuse by pastors, spiritual abuse by leaders at work, poverty, racism, classism. I'm mentioning that so... When you, in your own study time, when you systematically work through books of the Bible, you'll, you'll be confronted with any one of these. Are you with me? So what I'm encouraging you, I'm not encouraging you now to come with a placard and to say, Hercules, I'm going to preach now through the differences of male and female. No, no, no. I just want to encourage you, you've got to start studying it. Because the time's going to come when we're going to have to give real answers to real people who has really been misinformed. So my encouragement to you is, study the scriptures, study the Bible. Read through it. Shape your thinking by, by systematically working through books of the Bible. For instance, example, Matthew chapter 7. I've said that in Afrikaans now, we just mean, oh man, what do we do? Matthew chapter 7 starts with, does anybody know what? that scripture is? Judge not. not. That's even the one scripture that atheists know, hey, (laughs) isn't it so? People that don't want to be evangelized, that's the first scripture they always quote, judge not. But even in church, because we don't systematically work through the Bible, and because we don't systematically work through the scripture, we misrepresent the scripture. So, let me just read it to you. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Is Jesus in this scripture teaching us, because judgment is a hot topic now. It is, a Is Jesus teaching us not to judge? No? Then what is he teaching? (laughs) To remove planks. Like you. (laughs) Like you. Jesus is teaching us how to judge. He's not saying don't judge. He's teaching us how to judge. The very next verse, Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That's verse 6. So there God's saying, when you do talk about spiritual stuff, you must make a judgment. Some people are dogs and some are pigs. You can't throw your spiritual stuff in front of them. You see, does it make sense what I'm saying? So, God is teaching us how to judge. First thing he says, the first part to verse 5 is actually just about. Don't judge people in such a way that you write them off. That's wrong. None of us have the right to do that. At the same time, when you come and you see these are people that's not going to respect, but God wants to do you, don't share your wisdom. Then God goes on and he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if you ask your son for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So now Jesus is saying, if you don't, Don't know how to make that judgment, if you don't know how to do it, then ask me. You see, you must you we must follow now the the explanation of the thought of Jesus' sermon. And then Jesus says, if you don't get the wisdom, if you don't know the dogs, the pigs, the swine, if you don't, if you don't know how to judge If there's no wisdom, if we do not know what to do in a difficult situation, then Jesus says in verse 12, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So Jesus says, when you've come to the end of yourselves, and you don't know how to handle a very difficult situation, if it was me and Laura, and and I had come to the end of myself, and I don't know what to do, And I should take a step back and just say, if I was Laura, what would I like people to do to me? You see, that Jesus is teaching us how to judge. Shape your thinking by systematically work through the Bible. You with me? Does it make sense what I'm saying? This is going to help us immensely because we need to disciple people. Okay, number five. I'll have to go quicker. Search the scriptures to see their truth is balanced and clear. Oh man. It's one of those interpretive fallacies that just makes conversation sometimes very difficult. But as Christians, we so easily pity one attribute of God against another attribute of God. With pity, I mean they empathize and sympathize with one characteristic of God more than the other. You know, God's love. No, He's love for me. God's the love, and then another brother comes, no, but what about God's wrath? And then you get a love and wrath fight. And then usually that fight ends up, you're not supposed to judge. And then the other one says, But you must judge. <laughs> You're with me. Have you ever been in those conversations? Oh, man, I love them. I love them. We can't. We must have a balanced view of Scripture. You see, when, when, when we don't have a balanced view about God's characteristics and His attributes, our thinking becomes fuzzy, we're not clear. It doesn't matter, people, it doesn't matter how complex the situation is. I want to give you this tip. And it took me quite a long time to work through this. It doesn't matter how complicated a relational issue is between Christians. Scripture is clear about what we should do. Now, I don't know. Now, let me just say this, Ruth. When I'm in a difficult situation with brothers or sisters, my emotions are very complex. Can anybody relate with me? So the one morning you're happy, the next morning you're so angry at them, and then you feel so sad. They don't look at me, and then you feel sorry for yourself. That's what's going on through in your Muslim, isn't it? And God is cool with that. The fact of the matter is, Scripture's clear. Forgive. It's clear. Scripture's not fuzzy. When something's wrong, say it's wrong. Scripture's clear. But speak the truth. In love, not you're wrong, speaking down at people as we've heard Pastor Fred was saying. You speak of, you know it was wrong. It was wrong in the way that you've done this and this. And this is how it made me feel. And so can I just say, Christy, this is where I agree with you. But Christy, this is where I disagree with you. We always start our arguments with how we disagree, isn't it so? Start with how, where you agree and then move to where you disagree. And this is the most difficult part. Then go read what scripture says about it, and now, <laughs> now you with me. But we give people time to work through it, so because we've got to understand truth is balanced. So, the example that I'm using there is John, um, um, chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world. You've read that, eh? Just go read verse. 35. I'll read it for you. It's the same conversation Jesus has with Nicodemus. In verse 35, God says, the father's love, the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever, again, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. So in that same piece of scripture where it talks about God's love, it also talks about God's wrath. In scripture we talk about God's mercy, but there's also God's judgment, God's kindness versus God's severity, heaven versus hell. And the reason why I'm saying this, we must have a balanced view of scripture to have a balanced and mature conversation. Now this is what Hercules has been preaching on quite for some time, growing into our maturity. And we've got to grow there. We've got a long way to go, but we're coming there. Are you with me? On the cross, on the cross, all the attributes of God wins. When Jesus hangs on the cross, every sinner that believes in him gets eternal life, but everybody that rejects the cross goes to hell. God forgives everyone perfectly that believes in me on the cross, but for those who doesn't, there's judgment. Father, forgive them, but there's a part of the Holy Spirit where Jesus says, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, so everything wins on the cross. You know this statement that we make, love the sinner, hate the sin? The only problem is God doesn't send the sin to LA. I can understand what people are saying. There's a way that we must speak the truth in love and love people. I get that. But sometimes our thought patterns, because we are non-gods, we want to impose the way we feel and what we think onto God and we don't want to read the scriptures. We become embarrassed And we become uncomfortable with the things that we cannot explain. Isn't it so? You see, when God says he's angry and when God talks about his wrath, it's not like me losing my temper. God doesn't lose his temper. When he gets angry, he's justly angry. And his judgment is righteous. Don't be embarrassed. And the sin that so many Bible-interpreting Christians and pastors, me included, committing sometimes, is we want to be more gracious than Jesus. Sometimes we want to be more gracious, and then on the other hand, sometimes some of us, we want to judge more than Jesus. No, Jesus, you haven't judged enough. Let me, allow me to judge Jesus, please. You know, it's like the disciples, should we call a fire down from heaven, God? Man, Jesus says, guys, you don't know what I'm about. In this case, you don't know what I'm about. You with me? People, truth is balanced. Number six, let scripture interpret scripture. Example Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen: All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you read a difficult passage, but Paul says, "I permit women not to teach." Oh, Paul says it. So was Ruth wrong this morning? Elmery wrong. Jen wrong. When you have difficult passages like that, you must read what other scriptures says about that scripture. I'm just leaving the principle with you. So, for instance, if you want to understand that scripture, it's 1 Timothy chapter 2, I do not permit women to teach. You must read Ephesians chapter 5, and you must also read why God made Adam first. So there's just, and so... This is the part where I'm just stirring your emotions. <laughs> I'm not giving a solution. I'm just stirring your emotions because I want you to go study the scriptures. I want you to go come do Bible school because we actually address this issue in our Bible school modules. And it's a good conversation to have. I don't want you to go with the placard now, please. That's not <laughs> All I'm saying is, I'm just stirring because I want us to start studying. We must have a love of this. People, we have answers the world does not have. We have it in the scriptures. That's why I'm doing this this morning. I'm not doing this to condemn you or to make you feel bad or to say you've been interpreting the scriptures wrong. No. I'm doing this so that you will run to God continuously to find the answer to the solutions right here within the scriptures. Let scripture interpret scripture. And then I just put number seven here. It's not on there. Interpreting parables is unique. This one I've put in here. I, just, I did this this morning. Because I just thought, Jesus taught 46 times in parables. It's quite a lot. So, when we interpret a parable, what must you remember? The first thing you must remember, Jen, a parable has only got one main point. In most cases, it doesn't have seven or eight right points. It's one main point. Okay, how do we determine the main point? Luke chapter 15 is about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and then the prodigal son, the lost son. So why do Jesus take so much time in telling all three of those parables about somebody that's lost? The answer lies in verse 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering to hear Jesus. The tax collectors and sinners, they hanged out with Jesus. Jesus. But, says verse 2, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now Jesus says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose you have one hundred sheep and one gets away. Suppose you lose one coin. Suppose you have one brother and he comes back. So what's the main point? The main point is the father is always welcoming the one sinner that comes back. The older brother is the Pharisees. The younger brother are the sinners. The father is God. So the main point is, I will welcome. So determine the main point by finding out why Jesus told the parable. Sometimes people ask questions and Jesus tells them. Sometimes it's a request. Sometimes people complain. Sometimes it's a misconception. You know? Um, I'll send you the notes. The reason why I'm encouraging you this morning to fall in love with God's word again In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. If you can all can open up your Bibles that I've just given you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. And verse 14, And the Word became flesh. And made His dwelling amongst us. That's why. We've got the living word. And we have the relationship with the living word. And the living word lives on those pages of the book. And I want us to fall in love with that again. I want us to become students of the scriptures. I don't want us to be intimidated again when people say things about about God or about the church. No, 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 no. We have a way, the truth and the life with us. It cuts through bone and marrow. It's, it's the way that you keep your path pure. The scriptures, oh, It is just so beautiful. We don't fill ourselves with singing. We don't fill ourselves with YouTube videos. We fill ourselves with the Word of God. When the cup's half empty, it gets filled with the Word of God. You fill yourself up to the year with the Word of God. And even if you read stuff and you don't understand it, God can bring understanding later. It will settle within your spirit. What are we filling ourselves with today, tomorrow, whatever? Yeah, I'm passionate about the word. I love the word. I really like the word. I really like studying it and reading up it. And this morning was a bit technical. You know, there was a few technical stuff. But you know, I don't want to be so technical that I miss the relationship. You know, and I don't want to just be relational, but, but I can't study the word. And so we've got to find that perfect balance. And I want to encourage you. It's the words of life. And Sofiso said it this morning. It will not return void. It will not return void. He spoke about the manna. that blessed me so much because I knew I was going to talk about the living manna. And you get new manna every morning. But as a prophetic encouragement, I feel the manna for this church has stopped. It's not time to pick up that manna anymore. It's time to rise up. There's a whole land to conquer with new word. And continue picking up. Continue picking up every morning. You pick up until God tells you, now it's time to grow. And we're talking about growing. We're talking about growing. And these principles I've shared with you to grow. And and I'm still growing. I'm growing every year, every month, every time, every day. I am growing. And can I just deal with this? And so when you are very busy and you don't get time to, to read God's word, please don't go this route. Oh, I've forgotten. Oh, I must read now. You know, sometimes we get into that rut and we think, if I read then I'm cool with God. We don't say it, but we think it. It's just, I've missed it. I've been so, so busy. Don't, 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 don't go. It's not about quantity or quality. It's about your attitude. When you do pick up the word, you tremble. You with me? Don't don't feel condemned. That's not how Christ sees it. Jesus says, "This is a contrite man. This is a man and a woman that trembles at my word. I can have a conversation with him. You know. But if you miss it, don't condemn yourselves." And if it's difficult to do it in the evening, do it in the morning. If it's not in the morning, do it in the afternoon. But do it. And run to the Father, the Father of the Word. And I'm encouraging you with this. Run to the Word, run to the Scriptures. And share it with people and sit down with people and talk about it. And read it and memorize it and speak it back and pray it. Pray it. Pray it over yourself. Pray to the person in the mirror. Buy books like these. Be creative. Download a book, the book of Acts. Listen to the book of Acts. You can listen to the book of Acts in under 15 minutes. Listening to it. There's so many creative ways that God has now opened up His Word for us. And um, we can run with it, and, and this this gift. Enjoy this gift on the train. I don't don't want to say where else, but just enjoy it. You know, enjoy it. Read it. Read it. I'm in the habit. I always, every year, I buy myself a fresh Bible. I don't know why, just to start reading it afresh. And so I give my old Bibles to friends or to. With my notes in it, <clears throat> I just make sure there's not very, very personal notes there, but and I say, oh, you can have this one, read it." And then I read again, and I'm afresh. I read through the scriptures, I read it, I read it. And I want to encourage you, I want you to sign up for Bible school because it was going to change your life radically. And the way that we shaped our Bible school now and we've structured it is that you can do it on your own time. That's the one part. The second part, you can do it in terms of groups. The only thing that we would desire is just come sit down and talk with us and say, look here, yeah, time's a problem, but how can I study the Bible with you? But make time. Okay, you're with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's life-giving it alters one's life. It's, it just changes one's life, Lord. And um, we're so thankful, Father, that um, your word became flesh. There's a physical example of your word for us to see. We can feel it, we can touch it. We can become like it and we pray for Christ's likeness, Lord. Yes, Father. Yes, Father. Yes. I can open your eyes i i feel I, I should pray for people if 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 you get distracted while you read the word it's the weirdest thing there's loads of other things that you can do then you don't get distracted but as soon as you start reading it thoughts keep popping up in your mind and you can't concentrate we're going to pray for you now and we're going to trust god to help you if you can't find a rhythm in a balance let's also pray with you you know find that rhythm in the balance how can you do it um where are you at in your lifetime? And we'll pray for you for that. If you are wrestling at this stage with difficult passages, it's always good to wrestle it through with people around you. Hey, okay, it's important. It's very important. I'm wrestling through Isaiah chapter 22, where God puts a servant of the Lord out of office. That's what happened to me now. God said, no, you're not going to be in the past. You're first going to have to fix this. Now, when I read Isaiah chapter 2, the way that guy is removed from office, I'm just saying, God, thank you that you're gracious to me. It's not as harsh as that brother. My heart goes out for that brother now. But, you know, God removes people from office. So I have to wrestle through with that. But he's sovereign. So I have to wrestle it through with my friends. These are the scriptures. That's what I have to do. But God also reinstates in offices. Are you with me? You know, so if you're struggling also with difficult passages and you want somebody to come, we, we want to pray with you. But first, for those who get distracted, what was the second one that I just said? Um, rhythm. If you need a rhythm, if you struggle to find a rhythm, you don't have the balance to read the scriptures and to pray because you must have a balance. Then we'll help you with that. And if, you, if you're wrestling now through with difficult scriptures, we must connect you with people to talk the difficult um, Scripture soon then we're not gonna be here but enjoy the Bible school ceremony. You know there's gonna be photos ticked, so please smile. <laughs> okay. Smile and we'll we'll watch the press for details. We'll watch the press for details, but but you must enjoy it. God bless and enjoy. So if anyone needs prayer you can you can come.